Hello and welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast with me, your host, Fabio Molle. Every week I speak to the big hitters in the world of tennis, both on and off the court, about the game and how we can all get 1% better every day at what we do. As an ex-national team player, I know exactly how tough this can be. So I'm on a journey to get the very best tips and advice from the world of tennis. Last week on the Function Tennis Podcast, I met human movement and sports performance specialist Andrea Bracali, who's the trainer of the up-and-coming Emil Rusevari. In our conversation, we talked about Andrea's involvement in football and how he moved into the world of tennis. Andrea also explained why player development should come before short-term success. And I asked Andrea, who works harder, soccer or tennis players? If you're into the fitness side of tennis, it's definitely worth a listen to. This week on the podcast, I speak to Talon Griegspoor. Talon is a Dutch pro tennis player who has just reached a career-high ATP singles ranking of world number 36. He has also won a record eight challenger titles in a row between 2020 and 2021. And along the way, he became the first person to actually do it five times in a row. He's at the top of his game at the moment and he's only getting better. So I'm really excited to speak to him today. In our conversation, Talon explains why the competitiveness he had with his brothers helped develop him into the player he is today. I asked Talon about his challenger performances in 2020-21 and what ultimately brought him to that next level. I asked Talon what it was like to win his first ATP Tour title in Poon earlier this year, what it's like to play Alcaraz, to play Sinner and much more. But first, I wanted to ask Talon about how his tennis journey began. Talon, welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? Thank you. Yeah, all good here. Thank you. Great. I can't wait to talk about your recent run of great form, your first title and many other things. But the first thing I want to know is, how do you pronounce your surname? Griekspor. Griekspor. I... That's good. That sounds good. Okay. I know it's not, it's not easy, uh, especially with the G. Uh, we pronounce it on a different way here in the Netherlands, but... Uh, no, that's not bad at all. I won't even try to pronounce Votak's Vot- <laughs> name. That, that, that one's bigger. Yeah, but so that, Let's go back to the early days. Where did tennis begin for you? How did you get into it? Well, I have two older brothers, uh, which are five years older than me. They started tennis around 11, 12, so pretty late. Uh, I mean, still early, but you heard a lot of people who started around four or five, so... They started pretty late, but um, I just went with them whenever they had lessons. I was just a little little boy walking around with the racket in my hand, and uh, I started to hit some balls as well. You know, like uh, I was in love with the game straight away. So uh, yeah, basically because of my brothers, they started playing. Um, yeah, I always went with them. I had to go with them. Uh, my parents were there, and then yeah, started to pick up the racket, and that's how it all started. Were you the nine little brother? Yeah, and probably, you know, you always be the little brother. So nothing changed in that uh, perspective. But uh, no, it was good. Um, also on a, on a little older age, when I was like 12, 13, you know, I could always practice with my brothers. I had always two older guys, stronger, better at that point. Um, with, yeah, who I could practice with and who I could learn of so much. Um, I mean, I can easily say that without my brothers, I would have not been here in this position today. Um, they learned me so much through the years, you know, like now when you're older, you, you like it more, it's better, uh, because you're also older yourself, but when you're younger, it's tough. At some point I always felt like, okay, I have three, three fathers, you know, because they always told me what to do. 
what not to do. And uh, I mean, they always wanted the best for me, but I guess when you're 14, 15, then they're trying to tell you things, you're like, ah, oh, shut up. I will find it out myself. You know, I'm old enough. But uh, no, especially at this point, it's, uh, it's amazing to share this journey with them and to have all those, uh, yeah, all those memories together. So they were a huge inspiration for you to, to become a professional or was there another driving force that wanted you, that wanted you to be, you want to be a pro? No, I would say they are, they are the reason. Um, I fell in love with tennis at the first point. Uh, and then, you know, they started playing, they started traveling at some age. In juniors, I was younger. I had to stay at home, even though I wanted to come with them. Um, so, yeah, I guess to see what they did, what they went through. Uh, and I realized, yeah, that's what I want to do as well. And that's how, uh, yeah, where the passion for tennis is coming from. And was there a day as a junior where you said, you're all in? This is all you want to do. Do you remember a certain day? No, not certain one day. I just remember I have been crazy with like crazy in love with tennis forever. I would say I, I just can't imagine a life without tennis. I just really like the game. Um, I like all the aspects that come with it, but I, I feel like I just, you know, you start with it and you just kind of roll into the whole thing and you just don't get, get rid of it. That's probably, uh, how we went and uh, yeah till the day now uh, tennis is still for me the best sport there is uh, so yeah i wouldn't want it any other way and when you're with your brothers is there is there tennis chat or is it there's no tennis chat well it, it always starts with tennis uh, at some point we go over to different things but no even till now they they're still trying to tell me what to do <laughs> what what not to do you know like like I said, you will be the, the younger brother forever. This will never change. Um, but now, I guess now it's different because I've been, a, you come at a certain level, you know what you do, um, but they still try to help me. They still want the best for me. They travel with me sometimes. So, you know, it's, they're only positive sides of it. And do you remember the first time you beat them? I mean, when I was 16, 17, they were older. I had no chance against them. I mean, they played really well. Uh, one went up to 200. I think the other went up to 600. Um, so I guess I only started beating them when I also started passing them on the ranking, you know, which was, which took me a lot of time. Um, but like I said, they were great players as well. Um, shared a lot of nice memories with them. Um, played Davis cup together with one of my brothers and the same team. You know, those are, those are memories you will never forget. Not just for us, but I guess for the whole family, uh, grandpa, grandma, you know, everyone involved in tennis. Um, but no, I remember when we were playing Futures, we were drawing each other quite a lot. Uh, but we actually, at the beginning, we never played. Like, it was just, it felt impossible to play each other. We were way too close. So I always gave it to them or they gave it to me once in a while. You know, like it was not really, I think we were not ready to play each other. Uh, and I think then at some point we played each other in the future in Holland and it escalated completely, like fighting warnings breaking records everything you know was not the was not the most ideal situation uh but i guess that's what happens when you're brothers so after that we never played again uh probably the best to do so uh yeah some nice memories from uh, playing each other and traveling together and who got that win i got that win actually but it was you know i especially that match i was the annoying little brother uh Actually, we never talk about it. It's not something uh, to be proud of what happened there, but uh, I guess it happened and uh, that's why you're brothers. Nice. And did your parents play tennis? 
No, not at all. Uh, they had nothing to do with tennis. Uh, that's crazy, actually. My grandpa and grandma, they played a little bit of tennis on the local club. And I guess uh, they started playing with my brothers. And that's how, how we got into it. And where in the Netherlands did you grow up? In uh, a small town, uh, 20 minutes from Amsterdam. Okay. Uh, it's, it's called New Venep. Um So yeah, close to Amsterdam. I've always been to school in Amsterdam, practice in Amsterdam, like most of the things were in Amsterdam. So uh, yeah, small town. My parents still live there. Um, I live in Amsterdam, so uh, still close by. Nice. And you're back in Amsterdam now. Is that where you train when you're back home? Yeah, that's my days when I'm back home. Uh, I'm living in Amsterdam. The Federation is like five minutes outside of Amsterdam, which is really close. Uh, so yeah, perfect, uh, perfect combination. Nice. And just moving on your junior career, did I hear you were, you were obviously really talented, but you didn't work that hard at certain stages. You're more interested in your PlayStation. <laughs> is that true? Yeah. No, I mean, it's true. I, uh, especially like compared to my brothers, they always said like I was a talented kid and they were the hardworking guys. Uh, which is true. At some point, uh, like when you're 14, 15, 16, you're going to school, you busy with friends, like playing on the PlayStation, um, more interested in other things than tennis, I guess. Um, at that point, I probably didn't realize how much I like tennis. Uh, you know, you done with school, had to go to tennis. Oh shit, I have to go again. But I guess it was all worth it in the end. But uh, no, my brothers were definitely like uh, hardworking guys. Uh, and they... They inspired me at some point. At some point, you start to realize, okay, if I want to be serious with tennis, if I want to make a living with it, I should start working hard. So they definitely uh, inspired me to work hard. And like I said, without them, I probably wouldn't be here. And again, I know I asked you this before, but did that, did the, the thing of working hard, did you see them do it and you gradually started working harder? Or was there a day where you just went, look, I need to go all in from today? Um, no, I guess it just comes with the age and getting mature and, um, you know, it's not really one day that I really changed everything. It just came, uh, like point by point, it game, I guess it didn't go from zero to 100. It took me a long way. Um, so yeah, not really one day, but it just came, you know, it's it's probably better that way because you, you'd be burnt out by the time you're 18 then if you're going since you're 12 yeah. flat out so yeah, yeah that's really interesting and just before we move on from your juniors was there ever did you have any challenges grow as a junior player something that you know you look back and you go was actually really tough when i look back at that point traveling was tough at a young age i think you were not really ready for it i mean i don't think you can be ready for it but if i look back now um you have a lot of nice stories and a lot of fun looking back at it. Like now I'm thinking back, whoa, it was such a nice time. You know, I learned so much in these, in these days. Well, back then you were like, oh, I have to travel. I don't want to travel. Um, now you just want to travel. You just want to play tournaments. So I guess now looking back, um, you learned a lot from it. But back then, I guess when you're there, it's just tough. You know, you have a lot of friends at home. You don't really realize you're 16, 17, start to travel the world, you know. Um, but like now, like now, I would say, yeah, I learned so much from it to just explore everything and uh, yeah, get ready for the big world. And something I don't know is ITF ranking. Did you have a decent ranking? Uh, I think I got to like one, 120, 110, 120. Uh, played a couple of juniors. Um, wasn't the best junior. Um, even there, like didn't have too many great results and uh, I mean 
looking back now, I'm happy. I mean, not happy, but I'm happy it came later and I wasn't peaking at the age of 18, you know? So uh, I guess it just all went how it was supposed to go. And, uh, you know, looking back with some players now playing on the tour, which you played juniors with, uh, those were fun times, uh, really nice times. Um, but yeah, I wasn't the best junior uh, tennis-wise. That's that's very inspirational for many players because they're all obsessed with I got to be top ten, top twenty junior, you know, yeah. to become. So that's that's really inspirational. And players you used to play back then, do you have chats about those events? You know, do you bring it up when you speak to them the odd time? Do you remember that tournament? Yeah, sometimes we do. Especially I remember the South America junior tournaments. You know, you go there with some guys from Europe, which you see more often. You just go to South America for basically the first time ever. It's a whole different world, especially when you're 16, 17. Uh, so, yeah, those are nice. Like I said, those are nice moments now to look back at. Uh, and like I said, I also wouldn't want it any other way. Uh, I'm happy I'm peaking now and not at the age of 18 with you. If I look back at the guys I played juniors with in Holland, all of them stopped when they were 18, 19, you know, they start to study like different life. They just get into a different life. Um, so yeah, I'm happy I, I kept going and uh, yeah, here we are. Great. And from internationally, who were your, who were your pals on the junior tour? Um, there were some Belgian guys. I mean, obviously we speak the same language. They stopped now. Um, I recently played with Quinton Halis, the French guy. Okay. We, we traveled in juniors. Um, and then wow, there are so many guys like actually my age, it's like with Berrettini, Swerf, Chorich, such a good age actually, which came Fritz, TFO, all those guys. Um, it's good to see, you know, you have seen those guys forever. Yeah. It feels like forever. So yeah, it's good to see all those guys doing so well. Nice. And what a lot of people don't tend to think of is obviously let's say you've played Fritz. I'm not sure many times you played, you've played him once, let's say, but you've may have played him as a junior or young guy loads of times. And there's a rivalry there that sometimes, you know, you, it doesn't come across on TV or which makes, I know makes your battle a lot more interesting. Yeah. Th yeah, that's true. Actually, you had, you played some guys years, which now you, you play eight years later or nine years later, you play each other again on the HP tour. Um, yeah, I mean, those are nice stories. Those are fun stories. And uh, those are the things you can uh, have fun about. Yeah. Look, moving on to your 2021 year, you won eight challenger finals in a row. It's a pretty, I don't know if that's been done before. You may have to confirm that. I don't, I can't confirm. No, that. yeah. First time. It's first pretty time. epic. So congrats. But before we yeah. talk about those finals, what happened from, let's say, 2017, I think you played your first ATP Tour event, 2021. How did you become so good, so solid? What was the secret to your success in 21? Um, well, I think it's just been, what I believe in is hard work pays off in the end. Um, I mean, you have talent, but without hard work, you're not going to get anywhere. I played a lot of futures. I think I went pretty fast from the futures into the challengers. Stayed in the Challengers for a couple of years. Um, the COVID year came in between, uh, which I believe helped me a lot because I just got away from tennis for a couple of months. You know, you've already been traveling for so long. And I actually remember going out there after the COVID break again. Um, I, was such, I was a better player. Like I felt better. Uh, I was so ready. I was ready for it to go to the top 100, which before... I think I had the level, but mentally, physically, I was not ready to go there. Um, so I would say that break helped me a lot. And I guess just hard work through the years will get you there at some point. 
I mean, you have guys like Alcaraz, Sinner, but I feel like you cannot compare yourself with these kind of guys because those are just ones, one out of so many. They are, they are special talents. So I feel like for you to compare yourself with those guys, it's, it's tough. It's not realistic, I feel like. But then if I look back at my journey, I think it went pretty nice. Like every year making some steps, had some nice success early in Rotterdam on the ATP tour, uh, which I think got me ready for the big stage. Um, but even when I had those wins, and I think it was 2017, 2018, I was not ready to be a top 100 player, to be consistent week in, week out. Um, so I feel like it just came by the year, by the day, uh, working hard. And at some point it just clicks and had this unbelievable challenger run, uh, won five in a row at the end of the year, eight in total. And then all of a sudden you're top hundred, you're there. Um, and you feel like, okay, it just really starts now. And that, that's crazy to me actually, because you've been working so hard, so many hours, so many days, and then yeah, you're top hundred. Okay. now it's going to start, you know? Did you, did you feel the excitement once you made top 100? Like it was like a weight off your shoulders. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a dream. I feel like for every kid who's playing tennis now to be top 100, is, it's a magical thing in tennis. I think it's also because you get into the main draws of the slams. But at the same point, I, I went into the top 100 and I was like, okay, I'm still the same person, still the same thing, still have to work hard. Nothing really changed. Yeah, okay, you're going to play better tournaments, bigger tournaments, uh, but you still have to work your ass off day in, day out. Actually had a tough year, my first year on the ATP tour. Uh, you know, everything is different, playing big guys in the first round. Uh, at some point you enter the challenger, you feel like, okay, the first two rounds, I don't need to be at my best. I will get through, we'll get some rhythm, we'll get used to the ball, to the courts. Uh, and with the ATPs, this is not the case. You know, you have to be there ready from the first point. Um, so yeah, it wasn't my best year last year, uh, but still managed to be top hundred, had some struggles physically, mentally. Um, and then, yeah, that this year you start, you go, uh, out for the first tournament and everything clicks. Something that is really interesting about Talon's career is, as he pointed out, how consistent his growth has been. It's been very linear. Life, injury, or just a lack of maturity can get in the way of so many players. But I think one of the reasons Talon has so much potential to improve is a sense of steady improvement. They say in many sports, the difference between a great player and an elite player is consistency. Talon has the mindset of an excellent player. He has the talent and he has the consistency in terms of growth. So I think he will have a very special career quickly jumping in to give you three great bits of Sabre news. Firstly, the Sabre Mid is back in stock and shipping out to customers. Secondly, we have teamed up with Selenko to offer a string that is specifically made for the Sabre. It comes in the perfect length for the Sabre. It's synthetic gut string and it's a match made in heaven for the Sabre. I've been using it for over six months now. Absolutely love it. And lastly, a lighter version of our mid 300 gram unstrung Sabre was heavily requested by parents of younger players, especially in the 9 to 13 age group, as well as players who like using a lighter racket. And I'm glad to say we have finally received our first batch of the Sabre Lite. It's the exact same great frame and design as the mid, but it weighs in at 265 grams unstrung. You can check it out at Functional Tennis dot com and you can order it from today 
This is just a quick reminder you're listening to Functional Tennis, the podcast that helps you get 1% better every day. With me, Fabio Molle. Coming up on the podcast, I asked Talon what it was like to win his first ATP Tour title. We also talk about Yannick Sinner, and Talon identifies what makes him such a special player. But first, I wanted to ask Talon how he developed his mindset to put in those incredible performances in the Challenger Tour. Just going back, you said before, you know, to get to, to win those challenger tournaments, you became mentally, physically and mentally better, more ready. Physically, you do the work on the court, off the court, you know, you can plan that. Mentally, how did you get better? Was it just time off that you didn't play for a while, you sort of freed up the mind space or were you actually working on mental drills? I would say both. Um, I think getting my head out of tennis for a couple of months really helped. It also realized uh i realized how nice the job is that i'm doing you know how beautiful it is what you're doing but i feel like a lot of players forget it at some point we all take it for granted uh, we all act like it's all normal but it's not normal um so i feel like that time off helped me a lot um and then also working with a mental guy from end of last year actually helped me a lot like the last four or five months um, I feel like it's just good to talk about it. But now I'm 26 now. Um, now I'm ready to talk about it. When I was 22, 23, I felt like, no, I don't need it. I will fix it myself. You know, I was not open for it. Um, and also with that, I feel like at some point you get older, you start to realize what you need. You start to realize what you want. Um, and then at some point I was like, okay, let's, let's do it. I feel like I'm ready for it. I'm open for it. And I feel like this is the case with everything, uh, which I think you're going to have the most success. You will do it whenever you feel like you have to do it. It will come when it feels like it's ready to come. You cannot force it. That's what I believe in. Um, and that's also like, if people ask me, yeah, why, why are you only top 100 since last year? I don't know. I feel like it just meant to be that way, you know? And if, let's say, if, some, if I asked you if now, what, how would you describe the difference between the Futures Tour challenger tour and atp tour what's the best way to really feel the intensity and level differences there well i feel like the challenger tour and the atp tour they're tennis wise there's not a lot of difference i feel like the the biggest thing if i also look to myself is now in the atp tour everybody is so consistent and nobody is dropping the level on bad days so much um if you look to the top 10 guys what they do the best in my eyes is they never drop the level so low. Um, in challengers, like guys, if they have bad days, they have really bad days. You know, this is how it goes. And then compared to futures, I feel like the futures are just a jungle you need to get through. But I feel like it's also really nice to get to, to work your way through it because you learn so much from it. Um, but I feel like, yeah, in challengers, it really starts where guys are really starting to be professional. It's, they start to live for it. They start to look at the, the food, you know, everything. Uh, but then if you ask me now, there are so many guys between 100 and 300, 400 who can play so well. Like there's so many young guys, but it's just so tough to get through it, you know, to get through the big tournaments. Uh, like Jesus, we win one match, it's 45 points. They need to make finals of a challenger. Every match in a challenger is a final. Like it's a, it's, it's a battle every day. But to me, it's also, uh, it's really nice to get through it, you know? And that's what I really like about my own journey. I started in futures, worked my way up to challengers, struggled there for a bit and worked it up to the ATPs. It's not like I 
played semi-final in a big ATP out of nowhere and I was out of the challenger. You probably weren't being gifted wild cards all over the place either. That's also true. I mean, I got a couple of ones in the Netherlands, but in Rotterdam, which is one of the strongest 500s of the year, it was tough. To, you were not going to make semis there when you were not ready for it. It is how it went. And I, like I said, I really like the journey I had. And you did. You made semis this year. Yeah, I did semis this year, but this year I was ready for it. Yeah. Tell me, uh, I want to talk about Poon, but let me just talk about those semis in Rotterdam. Uh, you played Yannick Sinner. Uh, only today oh sorry last week I was away skiing and I met a man on a chairlift and he said he was from Tyrol I was like do you know Yannick Sinner and he was like yeah yeah I remember him as a young kid he was like he'd show up he's an unbelievable skier he'd be everybody would show up at the same time and he'd have one round one he'd be up top of the slope do one run before everybody was dressed he said he was just so serious and you know he was really dedicated from a young age professional but from you when you look at Sinner what do you see well, like I, like I already mentioned earlier, I feel like Sinner is one of those special guys. I also, if you look at his footwork and the balance he has, I really think the skiing helped him so much. Uh, but then at the same time, the timing he has with hitting the ball. For me, he's actually one, I like him one of the most to watch at. Like, um, if, if they're young kids now and I would tell them who to look at, I would tell them Sinner. Um, because I feel like the timing he has is unbelievable. The way he plays, he understands the game so well and he's actually still so young. But then, like I said, the footwork and the timing he has, that's something to be jealous of a little bit. <laughs> and more work is needed, more work to get there. And uh, how does he make you feel when you're playing him? He gives you the feeling that there's not one weak side of his game, you know, like he's serving well, he's really turning unbelievable well. And then, the backhand he's never missing and the forehand he actually gained so much pace and so much speed on it lately. So for me, yeah, I mean, he's one of the best players in the world. He's shown that week in, week out. I felt like I played a good match. I also remember saying to the media after, like, I played a good match, but good is not enough to beat Sinner. Uh, you need to be perfect. Uh, two close sets. I mean, I would say it was close, but still not a lot of chances. I was never really... Mm close to winning it you know um but then in the end like i said he's one of the best players i think and uh, i think we're gonna have a lot of uh, joy from watching him the yeah, coming years definitely definitely and so the start of this year you win your first atp title that must have been an amazing feeling yeah that was unexpected a little bit uh like end of last year i was losing on the first round uh, even though i was not playing bad it just all went the other way yeah. worked my ass off in november december um going you know you jump into the plane you go to pune because your main draw there adelaide your qualities so okay let's go to pune uh yeah you start winning a couple of matches and five days later you hold the trophy you win your first atp um like i said unexpected but played really well tennis there a uh, little bit lucky with city to pulled out in the quarters but at the same point i was at the same time i was playing well the first two rounds didn't drop a set um so yeah unbelievable week and uh, yeah definitely a, a week i will remember forever was it one of those tournaments where you know you never thought about winning until you're in the final or did you think from early on i could win this uh no definitely the first the first one of course you're going there i, I felt good i was playing well in december but like i said i didn't win a lot of matches the months before um so you go there of course you're fresh you come off holidays you come off a week of weeks of practice 
so yeah, you're fresh, you're in the good mood to go there and uh, yeah, this good mood stayed for uh, stayed for a while after uh, winning the trophy there. Nice, congratulations. And what sort of team are you traveling with? Um, so I'm always traveling with a tennis coach and almost every week with the physical coach. Okay, that's yeah. You need it. You just need that. Does the physical guy do physio as well, or no? He doesn't do physio, but he does a uh, a lot of stretching, etc. This kind of stuff, warming ups. Uh, since I actually started working with him one and a half year ago, I feel like uh, I mean the physical part is to me is almost as important as the tennis part because if the body is not working as how it should, uh, you're not gonna get anywhere. So uh, since I start working with a physical guy and also traveling with him. Um, yeah, my injuries are not there anymore, and I'm uh, I'm feeling good. It's helping me, and I really believe this. Uh, yeah, this helps. Great, great. You're still young. The body's still. I, I mean, know. yeah, the body is still young. Still a lot of years in front. So uh, let's keep the body fresh. And now's the time we have to take care of it. While it's, it's too easy to not do the stuff, but I. Right. So a few weeks ago, you played Alcaraz. Uh, you've played. You played him in Wimbledon last year. Uh, yeah. First of all, how I I saw some of the you were playing well against Alcaraz. You were beating the crap out of the ball. And he seemed to be hustling everything down. But what's it? What's it like playing Alcaraz in his current form? This is about as fresh as we're going to get. Yeah, I mean, he he's one of the best players in the world. He has everything that it takes to win unlimited tournaments, unlimited slams. Uh, I felt like in Indian Wells, the first set, I was I was on top of him. I was playing well. I felt like I was disappointed after the match because I felt like I sh- could have won the first set. Um, and whenever you lose that first set and you drop like one, two percent, he's all over you. Um, I mean, he has everything it takes. He's playing, he comes back from injury straight away, winning, just play hard, doesn't matter. Um, and I think the biggest weapon for him is still the forehand, which he has so much power with. And then he has the drop shot, which is. What, what is it like? What's that drop shot like? I mean, you don't see it come. So you, you step, I mean, you're going one step back because you think, okay, the big forehand is coming. And that, then he comes with the drop shot. I think that's what he did against Medvedev so well, mm. especially since Medvedev was returning from so far. He played a kick wide, serve and volley or kick wide drop shot. Uh, I mean, to do these kind of things at the age of 19, to control all those things, he's really playing the game. Yeah, he's impressive. At the same time, he's still young and he's still going to give you some points where I feel like Novak or Rafa doesn't give you any point. But at the same time, he's so good in everything he does. He's so fast. He's moving so well. He's behind so many balls. So yeah, another player I have a lot of joy of watching. And how big is the forehand? Is it just like on court? I know we see it on TV. We see it practice. But you as a player, when he's absolutely nailing it, what's it feel like? I mean, for me, it's the biggest forehand I ever faced. Uh, I mean, I played Rublev, who has a big forehand. Uh, but that's the thing. It's it's really fast. Alcaraz has the combination, the spin, the drop shot. He It makes him so dangerous on the, on the forehand side. Uh, and I think the speed he puts on the ball, it's, it's unbelievable. Impressive. And from when yeah. you played him in Wimbledon last year, have you seen an improvement in his, in his game? Was anything different? Um, yeah, I feel like he's understanding the game even better than he did last year. Like, like I said, he's playing the game like tactically so well. He understands he understands the game so well. He knows when to go full. He knows when to step back and run and make a little bit, few more balls. 
he knows when to play serve and volley and you know to do these kind of things at 19 it's impressive there are not many things in his game where you're like okay it's weak i have to attack that side yeah just a really tough player to beat yeah, he's, as, as you, he's matured, as you, you mentioned maturing earlier, uh, he's, he's just matured a bit younger and has the skills to back yeah. it up as well. Yeah. So to be a top player, like you're like top 35 at the minute, what are the main characteristics needed? For me, the number one is always work hard and have fun. That's also the thing to me. I'm doing what I really like. I'm having a lot of fun in what I'm doing. Um, there were also times, months, where I didn't have so much fun, where everything was a bit tougher. And I feel like if the fun is not there, it's going to feel like it's work, you know. But for me, it's not work. It's still my hobby, which I started one day and I got to make my work out of it. But I feel like having fun and working will always pay off in the end. That's what I really believe in. Of course, you have to leave a lot of things you can do. Uh, but at the same time, it will give you back so many nice things. Um, and everything you can do now, you can do after the career. You have time enough. So uh, for me, it's really worth it to, you know, work my ass off every day and get the most out of it. Nice. And you are big in F1. Uh, well, uh, Max, Max Verstappen is big in F1. I like the F1. I always did. Do you know Max? No, not personally. No, I don't know him personally. Um, but I think he, I mean, he's the biggest sports star we have in, in the Netherlands, I think. Um, everybody's watching F1 in the weekends these days because he's basically winning every race he, he races. So yeah, I really like the, the F1. I always did. I also like the motocross, you know, the MotoGP, those kind of sports. Um, I don't know, grow up a little bit with them. So uh, yeah, the passion is still there. And do you take any inspiration from either Max or the F1? Is there anything you take from there that you add to your own personality or game? I mean, I feel like also the, the hardworking part there, you know, those guys, uh, Jesus, they work so much as well for just driving two hours, you know, they don't drive as much as we play tennis, but I feel like the physical effort they put in is, is unbelievable as well. Um, and the same with the guys from the motocross, you know, they put so much time and effort uh, physically in the sport. Uh, which I which I like a lot. Uh, I, so, I also like it myself, you know, the physical part of tennis. As it gets more physical and physical every year, yeah, it's important to, to keep improving that. Uh, tell me, so you like F1, you must like cars and watches. Oh, yeah, I do, I do. Have you treated yourself to a nice car? No, I, I mean, I have, the, I have the car sponsor, so uh, it's good for now. Uh, I feel like I will buy a nice car whenever I'm done with the career because... You know, I'm so much gone from home. Uh, it doesn't make sense now to buy the nice car. Uh, but no, cars, watches, of course, uh, those are things you look at. Uh, they are nice and uh, will definitely treat myself after the career. Nice, nice. And one final question is, we ask we ask all our guests, we're all about getting 1% better every day. And what advice do you have for our listeners who are coaches and players on how to get 1% better every day? First of all, like I said, to uh, keep having fun. I think this is the most important. This brought me a lot. Even when you work hard, you can still have a lot of fun. Um, of course, there are times the fun is, there's less fun. You know, you really have to work hard. But I feel like you only get the chance once. You're once young. You cannot tell yourself, okay, I stop for three years and I go again after three years. You don't have this time. Um, so I really feel like don't waste any time on whatever you shouldn't do because I feel like just suffer, like 
I call it suffer, suffer for a couple of years. And after the career, you can do whatever you want. You can have as much fun as you want. Even there are days now, I also feel like doing different things than practicing. It is what it is. It's just part of the game. And I feel like this is, uh, for me, this is the most beautiful game uh, we have. Thank you very much, Talon. That was a great chat and great to learn. You're more welcome. About you. Thank you. Uh, best, best of luck in the rest of this, the clay court Thank season you. especially. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's the end of the show for today. Thank you, Talon, for coming on the podcast. You've had a really impressive career so far, and I'm really excited to see how far you can go in the game. Thank you all for listening at home too. Next week on the podcast, I speak to Gianluigi Quincy. Gianluigi was one of the best juniors in the world. He was Wimbledon champion. He was hyped to be the next big thing in Italy. But all that hype led to unbelievably high pressure that he ultimately struggled to deal with. And that led him to quitting the game. We have a really great chat with Gianluigi. He talks about all those experiences, dealing with the highs, dealing with the lows, when the pressure really began to mount on it. It's really interesting, especially if you're a parent or you're really interested in the game. Gianluigi is now a coach at the Piatti Tennis Centre and he tells us all about his work there. It's a really great chat. I can't wait to share this episode with you next week. Until then, goodbye. Just a few quick notes before we go. Make sure to follow the show so you get automatically notified about new episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to learn more about me or the work we do at Functional Tennis, visit our website at functionaltennis.com. You can also follow the show on Instagram at the Functional Tennis Podcast and with me on Twitter, Fab Mall. This podcast is produced by One Fine Play. James Bishop is the executive producer. Connor Foley is the series producer and editor. I've been your host, Fabio Molle. Thanks for listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Mm-hmm.